Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, City Collective Church. Thanks for joining us for Church Online. I hope it's already been a great morning for you of worship, uh, some engagement with the scriptures, and maybe you've dropped a comment in the feed and said hi to some people uh, that are watching alongside you this morning. There are some great ways that we are seeing God at work in our community as we engage in the week that was and look forward to the week that is ahead. This is what I so wholeheartedly believe, that the church is not a building, the church is a people. And what that means is that this morning as you have a cup of coffee in hand and maybe that you're just settling in, you're still chasing after your kid, maybe you're still in your PJs, whatever it is, I just know that the presence of God is able and willing to meet you right where you're at. That our homes and the spaces that we occupy are the perfect opportunities that we have to embrace and invite the presence of God into our very lives. And so, This morning, I would invite you, open hearts, open minds. Let's discover all that God has for us together. I don't believe that this is a season for us to simply endure, but one for us to deepen our relationships with each other, uh, with ourselves, and, and with God. Now, here's encouraging news. We are halfway through the point of April past April 15th at this point. And uh, perhaps you've recognized that, perhaps you don't know what day it is and you just happen to tune on, tune in on Facebook this morning because it feels like all the days are mashing up together. But we are past that point and that means that we are at the first Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. We got to celebrate Easter just this past weekend and it was a wonderful time together. And in the weeks that were leading up to Easter, we were going through a series called Final Words. And we were listening and reflecting upon the words of Jesus going to the cross, what they mean for us and how Jesus responds and what he's inviting us into. This was a deep time of reflection. And now out of Easter, we step into something called Eastertide. And it's this space where we get to have joyful celebration about the resurrected King, but also consider what the story of restoration and resurrection is doing in the world around us, but is also doing within us. So we are going to be jumping into a new series that I'm really excited about. I'm really looking forward to jumping into this series and asking some real questions that I think are important for you and for me. And we're just calling it very simply Jonah. Perhaps you've noticed some of the branding already and you recognize the scripture that we read just before this. And this story of Jonah, I think it's been given a little bit of a bad rap. Uh, it's been painted more of a kid's story than anything, and I hope that you stick with me that you haven't tuned out just yet because you don't want to be in Sunday school this morning, but there is an opportunity, I so wholeheartedly believe, to actually engage in this story in a new way that's going to show some amazing truths that's applicable to our lives here today. So stick with me. We're going to discover some amazing things together this morning. And, and this is my question for you as we begin. Have, have you engaged with the story of Jonah before? Have, have you heard it? Um, 
Maybe it was just back in Sunday school if you went to church as a kid. Maybe you've just seen it in a movie. Maybe you saw a bunch of vegetables running around and a, a whale was a part of it as well. And the VeggieTales narrative is the one that you were uh, aware of and that's kind of the way that you've always thought about Jonah. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, but the story of a man sw being swallowed by a giant fish is something that you've kind of heard about in passing. It's, it's something that's even invaded pop culture, but it's kind of been focused on the fish. Now, the story of Jonah has remained along those lines of, of a children's narrative that is about a fish and a man, and it's really dramatic along the way. But I would like to contend that it is actually very much an adult endeavor to engage with this story, full of, full of wit and, and humor and irony and sarcasm. And the reality is that the fish only appears in two sentences. So the fish isn't the main thing. And when we make the fish the main thing, we miss what the story is actually trying to tell us. Jonah is actually meant to expose and wake us up to some of our worst tendencies as followers of Jesus, but as just people who journey through life. So we're gonna talk about YouTube deep dives, SNL, and the good life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and the way that you lead us and you guide us. Thank you for your voice in this next season that we need to hear and we need to be listening to. I pray that as we jump into this story that you would open us up to how it can shift our perspective of our own lives here and now and shift our perspective of you and draw us closer to your story. That the resurrection, this new life which is offered to us would take a hold of our hearts and draw us forward into the purpose and potential that you have within each of us. Thank you for everyone who's a part of this uh, stream this morning and what we get to dive in together. We give you glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Jonah 1, 1 to 3. One day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went to the other direction to Tarshish. Running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board, joining those going to Tarshish. As far away from God as he could get. I challenge you this morning, say Tarshish ten times as fast as you can, and you'll struggle just as much as I did in saying that, but I digress. First, as before we can really continue, we need to provide some background around this book because even in the way that this first bit is written, there are certain assumptions that the writer has that we, the reader, have coming into engaging with this text. It is written to Jewish people who have a set of information that is assumed by the writer that we need to know in order to grasp what the author is actually trying to do. So a little background as we begin. The book of Jonah is part of a section of the Bible called Minor, Minor Prophets. And there are 12 minor prophets, 12 short prophetic books in the Bible. And here's something that we need to know right off the bat, that the prophets in the Bible are not fortune tellers. There are moments where they discern what God is leading the future of the people of Israel into. But for the most part, the basic definition of a prophet is they're an individual who speaks on God's behalf 
have to see what is real all around them and to name it and to give language to it, to give God's perspective on something that is currently taking place. And it always says that the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. But here's the interesting thing about Jonah, that he is not the prophet that is being uh, that is providing the information here. If you look at the books of the other minor prophets, which begin with a similar line, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. Uh, if you flip over in your Bible, you're going to see Micah, and it's going to say the word of the Lord came to Micah. And then in the books, sorry, in the chapters that would be coming afterwards, you'd see narratives and poems and writings from Micah himself. Whereas when we look at the story of Jonah, Jonah is not the author, rather this is a story about him. The book is named after the main character of the story, not the author. And in turn, this is a narrative and less like the autobiographical nature of the other minor prophet books. And this makes it unique among those prophets. When I'm at home, sometimes I can find myself a little bored. Maybe you found this in this season as well. And so what I've found more recently is that I've jumped on YouTube and I get in these YouTube deep dives. You know what I'm talking about, where you go and you click a suggested video and then you click a suggested video on the right and on the right again and on the right again and then you end up at this set of videos that you never thought you'd be searching for and it kind of surprises you and it makes you a little bit uncomfortable that you ended up here and you're kind of ashamed of it but i'm going to confess mine to you today i ended up at this video which was dubbing different music over iconic movie scenes and it's dramatic it's odd and my experience of the scene was so different because of the music behind it why don't you see for yourself? I'll never let go. I promise. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Cold never bothered me anyway. Severus. Now I would say that Let It Go wasn't really meant for Titanic and Celine Dion probably isn't the best voice for Dumbledore's death, but I would also say that the music that they chose for those scenes originally were intended to communicate what the director was actually trying to say. And oddly enough, I think we do this in scripture sometimes, that we so far, that, that we far too often have the wrong soundtracks playing behind scenes of the Bible than the ones which the author intended. That the author had a feeling and an idea and a thought that he wanted to share, but we've got Let It Go playing in behind this moment and it feels completely different. And this is why the idea of context is really important. Because the Bible is a compilation of ancient, ancient literature 
over an extended period of time. And the beauty of it that is that all of it points to Jesus and all of it leads us to Jesus. And we believe in the authority of the Bible. But we have to also recognize that all of the books are not written in the exact same manner. About one-third of the Bible is narrative, about one-third is poetry, but within the poetry, there, there is prophetic poetry, there is worship literature, there is laments within the midst of it, there's, there's wisdom literature, and there is all of these different types of writing styles which are employed for the authors to help communicate what they believe God wants the people to see, hear, and respond to. So if we have the wrong soundtrack, we're gonna have the wrong message. So what is the author of Jonah trying to tell us? Well, first of all, there's, there's nothing else like Jonah in the Bible. The book of Jonah is incredibly unique. First of all, there's no dates. Uh, and there's no names other than Jonah. He mentions the king of, of Nineveh, but the king of Nineveh was like the president of the United States, and it doesn't really give, give, him, give us more than simply that there was a king at the time. Jonah is a bit character from 2 Kings, who is ironically the son of a man whose name speaks of faithfulness. And yet, when we go through the story of Jonah, we're going to find that Jonah is the most faithless individual. And he spoke favorably for an apostate, faithless king that advocated for the northern separation of Judah. So he's a northern loyalist. And this region would eventually be conquered by the Assyrian army. And the capital of Assyria was Nineveh. And now, in this story, we see that he's being asked to preach to the people that he hates the most. He really is the perfect character for this story. And the author is trying to tell us that this book is not like the others. In fact, the author is trying to sneak in some hard truth to us in a really clever way. When you first move in with someone, uh, you discover a lot of things about them. I, I knew moving in with Adriana that there was going to be some contentious nature over the type of TV we watched. I knew that she has some specific reality TV shows that she gives some time towards. And you know what, I, I bit the bullet and I said, okay, I will occasionally watch it with you if I must. But I digress. I discovered, and this was surprising to me, that lo and behold, in her PVR, there was a long selection of SNL recordings. And this kind of surprised me, but uh, Adriana would toss it on when she was cooking or relaxing. It's something she could have going on in the background and enjoy. And SNL is this really interesting show because it is often hard hitting in the most unexpected of ways. SNL is what we like to call satire where it takes known political or popular figures, places them in dramatic and extreme situations, kind of makes fun of them, makes a, makes a fool of them in order to communicate a deeper truth. But ultimately, what SNL is doing, it's using those, those scenes to have a narrative that actually po pokes and points at the viewer, at the listener. That's what satire is. 
Satires are stories where we take known figures, popular figures, and you place them in extreme, ridiculous stories that highlight how flawed and screwed up they are. Satires are always aimed at you, the reader, while trying to make you laugh a little. So this is a, a form of narrative parable in which the author takes a real-life figure based in history, Jonah, but the author does not intend us to take it as a historical narrative, but rather as a parable similar to what we see Jesus do in Luke 15 with Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was a known man that Jesus placed into his parable, and then he used it to communicate a truth. We, we see the dramatic nature that Jonah is written with, that it uses the Hebrew word gadol 15 times, and gadol means large or huge or big. It talks about a huge storm, a huge ship, a huge fish, a huge city. It talks about taking three days to walk across the length of Nineveh, and that would put it at 45 miles, but that's extreme when in reality it was around seven miles around. This was meant to be blown out of proportion. It's meant to be dramatic. It's it's meant to make you laugh and consider things, and as it does so, it is actually trying to communicate a deeper truth that it is pointing at you and at me. Because the story hits a little differently when you stop making it all about the fish. And, and sometimes we don't expect this kind of thing in the Bible, and therefore it's really hard to see. Uh, and if you don't think that there is satire, humor, and irony in the Bible, you, you won't see it. But this story is like a piece of dynamite to wake us up. That the story might seem about Jonah, but it's actually about you and me. It's actually about the covenant people of God. And this past weekend, as we celebrated the resurrection, there was a new covenant that was being set in place between us and God. And you and I are invited to take part in this new covenant. So this story is about us. And it's about the ways that you and I are choosing to allow our hurt, our hate, and our hardship to be the drivers in our life instead of the voice of God. Because this is what we know, that Jonah has some people that he clearly hates and God wants him to talk to them. But his hate for those people drives him to run from God even though he's a prophet who knows that God is everywhere. So often the ways that our lives take shape is that they are born out of the relational narratives that we allow to lead us. And if our lives are led out of this new life relationship with God, then we'll be led to respond out of God's character of love and grace towards others. But if it is based out of the people that, have, that we hate, the people that have hurt us, uh, the hardships that we've had, well, we're going to run in the opposite direction every single time, no matter how irrational that decision might seem. And if you believe that simply changing your habits, adjusting your practices, and learning how to say the nice things and the right things while ignoring deep hurts, struggles, and poison of relationships is somehow going to be living into new life, then we are simply putting a band-aid on a festering wound. Jesus came to heal and breathe new life into that which is hurting. And he invites us to follow his lead. And a healing wound, it takes time. It requires exposing and, and it's ugly to look at. And this story of Jonah is one in which there is some clear issues that the covenant people of God, that Jonah has, and he's allowing it to rule his life. 
And he's shown us that sometimes the hate that we have for people can be stronger than our desire to follow God. That your hate for others can sometimes take a higher priority than God's love for you. Charles Spurgeon has this great quote and he says, we think that we do well to be angry with the rebellious. And so we prove ourselves to be more like Jonah than Jesus. So Jonah runs in the opposite direction. And he goes to a place called Tarshish. And it's a place spoken of in, in other places in the Bible and other ancient literature. And it's often placed in, in Spain or North Africa. But for, for the purposes of this story, it, it's not specifically about the place. It's about this place as far away as possible in the known world. And it's for what the place is known for as well. It was known to be a place of, of comfort and of wealth. Solomon in the Bible is known to receive his, his wealth of metals from this known city. So it's placed in this story and Jonah makes the decision that I'm choosing not to obey God. I'm choosing not to listen to God and I'm actually going to go to a place where I can discover for myself wealth and comfort and prosperity in the way that I think I should set my life towards. I should set the course of my story towards. And instead he heads toward, instead of listening to God, he heads towards this five-star all-inclusive resort where he can escape where, what God is saying. And because the point isn't where the city is, because if Jonah thinks he can go in one direction to avoid God, then it indicates that he knows that God is already working and in the other direction that God is active and working exactly where the evil is. The book of Jonah explores that God is already at work in the spaces where we least expect. That God is waiting to be found in the spaces we least expect, where we least want to go, and in the last place that we want to look, and we want to avoid them as much as possible, and that when we choose not to live as God's covenant people, as resurrected people, as followers of Jesus, as when we choose not to love our enemies and not, not to forgive those who curse us, or to live generously or sacrificially, or commit our lives to deepening relationship with God and with others, we're saying that we know what is actually going to provide the most success and comfort in my life and I'm going to go there instead. And that I'm even going to invite the doctor into my house but I won't let them look at the wound. And we develop this competing vision for our life of what the good life is. And there is a whole bunch of things that you and I are doing that we think is life but actually is not life at all. And this is where we find Jonah. He, he's a prophet of God. He's representing the covenant people. And so there is relationship that is there, but there are some clear issues that have been left unattended for far too long so that when God invites him into the story of restoration of the world around him, he does what? He runs in the opposite direction and chooses his own competing vision of life rather than the one that God presents to him. And the sad irony is that he thinks he is running for his life when he's actually running from his life. Uh, I have some friends that are experiencing 
kids in all of their beauty and all their goodness and they're the, the sweetest kids they're like one of my favorite parts of instagram is seeing their photos that pop up that my my uh my nieces and, and nephew included i think that they are the sweetest but they have also communicated that there is some struggle sometimes when raising a little one and when the terrible twos come around one of the conversations that consistently happens is i don't want you to touch that or I don't want you to go there. Uh, just the other day, we dropped off some groceries for our um, for our nieces and nephew, and they all came to the door, and the family was excited, and, and Courtney mentioned to the kids, hey, don't touch anything, I need to wipe it down first. And of course, uh, Harper comes on over and touches it. Mom was very, very careful, and very, very generous, and she says, no, that's okay. Um, please don't do that again. And what does Harper do? She goes over and she touches it again. No, Harper, please don't do that. And she goes away. She climbs up the stairs, a little bit upset. And she goes down and she touches it again. And she's got this competing vision for what is going to be her best life in that moment. That she's curious that I imagine that me touching that, me getting a hold of that, me picking it up is actually going to make my life a little bit better. And that is so often how you and I have our conversations with God. That God has these leadings of how we should live generously, how we should live sacrificially, how we should give attention and time to things that are not simply about the selfish endeavors of our life, but about the people around us that calling to love our enemies and do good to those who curse us and, and living in a way that reflects Jesus and we say nah maybe not today I, I, I've got a better idea of what's gonna make me feel better and what the good life is gonna feel like or when we're struggling with something we've got our own ways of dealing with it I've got I've dealt like I've dealt with it this way for so long so it must be the only way I can deal with it when God is constantly inviting us into new narratives and new stories and we have these competing visions of life where God is saying, don't lean into your guilt to make yourself feel worse. I want you to experience grace. Don't find your identity in your success that is fleeting. Find your identity in being seen as a child of God that's eternal. Don't, don't keep that chip on your shoulder and hate for that person. Instead, love your enemies as I have loved you. We are constantly being invited to participate in the restoration of the world and seeing how that is going to restore us. And when you come to Jesus, we're always going to have competing visions of life. That is why there is something that is needed in that moment. When we say, I'm going to follow Jesus, there is a death that needs to take place in order for there to be life. Death to self, death to your vision of a good life, your vision of what life is all about. You've got to let it die and face that what Jesus is asking you and he's inviting you into is so much richer than you could ever imagine. Tim Mackey, he talks about this, that, that this isn't about a big house. This isn't about a car. That's a different kind of gospel. That's what, but this is about what Jesus presents. And it's this, that what we're talking about is that Jesus gives us something called abundant life that is rooted in his love for you and for me. And that I would see that he was always pro providing that which is good towards me. And when he tells me to stop and turn around and come his way, he's only saying it because he has the best 
in mind. And this is a daily practice we must embrace. That we all have, we might have different patterns of behavior that we need to stop. Patterns of thinking, ways of acting, and they don't lead to life and we know it, but we're scared to let it go because we've only experienced life in this way. But, and for some of us, it might not be stopping behaviors, it might be starting new ones that invite us into a life. And so the reason we do prayer on Thursday nights and the reason why we're creating moments of spiritual formation, whether it be prayer on Thursday nights or devos throughout the week, is because sometimes we need to build habits and we need to build moments into our days where we are committing ourselves to deepening our relationship with Jesus. But sometimes even the idea of spiritual practices, the idea of deepening a relationship with Jesus isn't part of what we think is the good life. Our competing vision doesn't even equate it as something that is of benefit to us. Therefore, we don't even engage with it at all. And maybe when it comes down to it, you just feel like you are running away from God. Maybe you have desperately avoided including Jesus in your life. Maybe you found your Tarshish, your, 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 good, your good life, your, your space where you think that you can go and turn God off. And maybe today is recognizing that God is as near to you as God has ever been and he will continue to be regardless of where you go. This story of Jonah isn't about a fish. It's about you and me and the character of God that never changes. That no matter how far we run, no matter how fast we go, God is always waiting there with open arms. And Jesus is waiting for us to stop running, to consider what are the issues in our heart that cause us to run, which we need to bring to him, and to let it die with him on the cross so that we can be raised to new life. There's more to the story of Jonah than we think. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for every person that is listening. Thank you that this story of Jonah teaches us so much more than meets the eye. That it's more about more than a fish. That it's about how you meet us where we're at. How you call us to respond in a way that is so opposite of what we would normally do. And that we sometimes have competing visions of life, that we run in opposite directions, that we believe we know what's best, and it pushes us away from you instead of towards you. I pray that we would just experience an immense sense of your love and your grace right now as we expose and bring all that we are struggling with into your story. And that we come and place ourselves directly with you so that we can discover life and life to the fullest. Thank you that that abundant love, that abundant life that you promise is available to us today. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.